This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Welcome back, everybody. Exciting stuff happening at Christian Family Church, particularly tonight. I'm so glad to be teaching this first um, title on the book of James, on the series that we're doing, and I know it's going to bless you. Perhaps tonight's message may not be your favorite out of all of them, but I know it's going to equip you during this time where the church tends to be so fragmented. So I'd like to thank Apostle and Dr. Bear for the opportunity of teaching you tonight, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to communicate through me and make His appeal to you by the anointing, transforming your life, and encouraging each and every one of you. So if you have your Bibles, won't you please turn with me to the book of James? I want to give you a bit of a background first and foremost. The author of the book of James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, Jesus had many siblings. Two of them, James and Jude, are the only two that contributed to the Bible as we have it today. But James, more specifically so, more is known about James than about Jude. This letter that James wrote was a letter that was addressed to the Jews of the diaspora or during the dispersion. It was a time where the Jews were dispersed all over the world. They couldn't come together. They couldn't congregate. They couldn't have communal worship. And so he sent this letter out to wherever they were about general Christian living. James only came to faith after Jesus was crucified. You can imagine how difficult it would have been for me if I were Jesus to convince my brother Nicholas, who lives in lives in England, that I was the son of God. So you can imagine most of Jesus' family didn't believe who he said he was until he was crucified, and James was that. But history records that he was so overcome by who Jesus was and what he had missed out on during the three years of Jesus' ministry that when Jesus was crucified, he vowed not to eat again until he saw the Savior. Well, thank God Jesus was raised to life after three days so James could have a meal and he could continue living and serving Jesus. And that is exactly what James did. James's passion for the church led him to become the pastor of the church in Jerusalem where he would eventually be martyred for refusing to deny Christ. He had a horrific death. He was thrown off the temple wall and when he landed, he hadn't died yet. And so what they did then was they began to stone him and someone came along and eventually clubbed James to death. When they rolled James over, they saw that his knees were all wrinkled, and he got the name Camel Knees. How do you suppose he got that? Well, simply because James was a prayer warrior. As a pastor of the Church of Jerusalem, he spent hours, days, and months on his knees. It gives a completely different perspective to the scripture that James penned when he said, it's the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man who avails much. And so we chose the book of James simply because the church currently finds itself in the same place that the, that the Jews did in the diaspora. And so what is worth noting is all with all of his experience, his knowledge of Jesus, the church and the kingdom, the kinds of topics that James chose to include in his letter. For example, how faith is strengthened through trials. I'm going to be taking a look at that tonight. How faith is actually strengthened through trials. He spoke about the importance or taught about the importance of being quick to listen and slow to speak. He spoke about that how faith without works is dead. And this letter of James is a very practical book. It's actually called the book of Proverbs 
for the New Testament. There's no specific order. James just puts a whole bunch of things out there that he thinks is absolutely critical for a church that is not meeting together. He spoke about the power of our words, and he teaches about how every single person's tongue actually needs to be healed. How many of you can say amen to that? My tongue needs to be healed. Hallelujah. The dangers of pride and the power of patience. How ultimately to defeat our enemy, the devil. James gives us the truth and the secret to that. He speaks about prevailing prayer. He speaks about what it takes to walk closely with the Lord. And then finally, he teaches about our kingdom responsibility to save those who wander away from truth. It's packed. And so in this series, between myself, Pastor Greg, Paul, Dr. Johnny, Pastor Jenny, we're going to be tackling this book, and I really hope it's going to bless you. My responsibility tonight, however, is to tackle two of the themes in chapter one, and that is trials and temptation. That's going to be my focus tonight, trials and temptation. That's the title of the series or of my session this evening. How many of you here today... Or anybody watching online would say, and raise your hand, Pastor Andre, right now I'm facing a trial. Can I see your hands? Anybody over here facing a trial right now, okay? A few hands went up, not as many as what I was expecting. But I heard a man of God once say this. He said, either you're in a trial, which is us that raised our hands, and I'll be honest with you, I'm currently facing something right now that I'm trusting the Lord to pull me through. Um, so either you're in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, which many of you that didn't raise your hands must probably have come out of something, or you're heading straight into a trial. Trial is just a part of life, and this is what James wants us to know. So turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of James chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading from verses 1 and 2. This is what the Bible says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. He acknowledged that Jesus was Lord. For 30 years, he knew his brother and never knew that he would be the son of God, but here he acknowledges it outright. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Tonight, I'm gonna to be showing you three scriptures where joy and trial appear in the same verse. Those things seem so diametrically opposed. How many of you, whenever you go through a time of trouble, say, yeah, this is going to be amazing. I mean, hey, anybody ever say that? Our attitudes don't seem to be that when we go into trials. Yet James over here instructs us that we ought to be joyful. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, God uses trials to test and to grow our faith. But before you begin to judge God too harshly, we do that with our kids. We use tests and trials to grow our children. Some years ago, my daughter Shanna was in the second year of university. It was a very difficult year. She was doing, I think at that time, nine subjects on BSC because she wanted to get into med. And she was burnt out and she was crying. And I came into the bedroom and she said, Dad, listen, I need to tell you something. I said, baby, what do you need to tell me? She says, listen, I'm not cut out for university. I'm burnt out, I've got to do something else. I just wanted to let you know that I'm seriously thinking of, of leaving uni. And she was crying and my heart broke for her. But I was compelled and knew that this is just a trial. So I said to my darling, 
You can choose to do whatever you want to do, but I need to let you know what the consequences are going to be, okay? You've been bursted. Someone was grand, someone was wonderful enough to bless you with your entire year's worth of studies paid. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to pay them back because we can't have them waste that money, and I don't have the money. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to sell your car, and then you're going to have to pay them the money back that they paid for university. And besides that, I can't have you living in my home off my dime. So I said, I'm going to give you a month to get a job, and I'm going to pay, you're going to be paying 4,500 rand a month rent. She was sobbing and crying. She says, that's not a choice. <laughs> That's an ultimatum. I said, no, my baby, I love you. It's a choice, you know. I knew that she would face that trial. Guess what? She loved her car more and her independence more than the difficulty of the trial that she was facing. And thank God today she's gone through it. So before we judge God about using trials to grow our faith, think about the fact that we do it ourselves. Folks, tests are a part of life. We don't get to grade 12 without passing grade 11. In actual fact, all a test does is it reveals if you are ready for what comes next. And this is exactly why James says, consider it joy, because God's, something, God's got something next for you, but this is something you need to pass first. I mean, when you wrote your matric exams, you didn't sit there crying going, why are they doing this to me? They're so unfair. Look at this paper. Look at these questions. I don't. You didn't do that. You just got down and did it. Some passed, and guess what? Some failed, and they had to write it again. You see, folks, God, the truth is, is more interested in our character than our comfort. He's more interested in our holiness than even our happiness. Look at what it says in Proverbs 17 and verse 3 from the second man, the second wisest man to ever live, Solomon. He says this, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Now, both the crucible and a furnace are extremely thousands of degrees Celsius hot to melt the silver, to melt the gold, because the impurities rise to the top, and the silversmith and the goldsmith will scoop all the junk that comes to the top off the top of the surface of it, and then they'll be able to look at it until they see the reflection. Why would Solomon use Proverbs 17 verse 3 and heat as a metaphor for how God purifies his people. Hey, things are going to get hot. And it's okay when things heat up. Because it's not the heat that you've got to be focusing on. It's what's coming afterwards. And God has got something tremendous in store. So the Lord tests us in exactly the same way, folks, through trials. And this is the first point. Now I'm going to be sharing with you four points on trials and four points on temptation. The notes are available on the church app, so you're gonna to wanna to download that to get all of the notes and fill in the blanks. But the first thing, when it comes to trials that we need to realize is we need to recognize what's really going on. Listen to this very carefully as I read it. One of the tragedies of a test or a trial is that the problem itself sometimes hijacks the learning experience. So you never see what could be happening because you're too distracted by the current situation that you are facing. And I wanna tell you, and James wants to tell you tonight, that as long as, you're, as long as you are focused on what it is you're facing and not what it is that's changing in you, 
you're going to continue having to write that test. You somehow, or we somehow, have to get over the distraction first before the learning can begin. Which is why for some folks, their problem persists way beyond what God originally intended it. Because they just go around talking about their problem, but they never say, Lord, what are you trying to teach, do in me through this trial? There's a huge difference. And when you begin asking those questions, everything changes. Look at what it says in James 1 verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, well, some of us don't, but James says you should, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, which means this is a process. All tests and trials are trying to develop this one quality in us, which is perseverance. What is perseverance? Perseverance is simply Patient endurance. Not a lot of people screaming, amen, preach it, pastor, tonight, but that's okay. I didn't expect a lot of clapping. <laughs> Hallelujah. Not with this message. We don't want to hear, we want to hear that God's going to deliver us of this trial right now. We say, Jesus, save us, just rescue us. You see, many of us are trying to run away from a very school of character that God has enrolled us in. He enrolled you into that trial. He enrolled you into that test, and you want to escape. For example, family. <laughs> family is a great school and a testing ground for character, wouldn't you admit? Hey, a great testing ground for character. There are so many people today trying to escape family responsibilities, kids wanting to leave home too early to become independent, spouses isolating themselves from each other, not wanting to be accountable to one another. You see, family... I mean, at, at its elementary base, is the best school of character you will ever have. And if you can't graduate from family, it means if you can't be a functional family together, if that can't develop your character, then nothing else will. The second thing that we need to know about trials is that we best cooperate with God's growth process. The Bible clearly says, James tells us, it's a process of growth. This is what trials do for us. In James 1 and verse 4, he says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance has got a job to do, and it has to finish that job for you to be mature and complete. You see, folks, God is going to do this with you whether you like it or not. He's a dad, he loves you, he knows what you need, and he's going to put you through it whether you like it or not. So best we just cooperate. In actual fact, some of the trials that we face are the very things we prayed for without even knowing it. Let me give you an example. Lord, as a young student getting ready for varsity, Lord, I want to earn lots of money. Okay, God says, off to med school you go. How easy is that? Lord, I want a beautiful wife says the young guy. God says, great, off to gym. Low-fat diet, you go. That isn't easy. Lord, I want more of you. Okay, well, God says, here you go, off to Bible college. Don't commit one year of your life to God. Commit three years of your life to God. And then you find yourself on Bible college saying, God, why did I choose to do this? It was an answer to prayer. You said you want more of him. You said you want to earn money. How about this one? Lord, remove anything from me 
That's not of you. How many of you have prayed that prayer? And before you look, guess what? There's no more money for DSTV, Netflix, their kinikor. Why? Because when you had the, all the money in the world, you spent it on the things that corrupted you and removed you far from God. If only you knew how God would answer your prayer, right? God, I want more of you. A guy was asked once, how do you become successful? Two words, he said, good decisions. How do you make good decisions, the person asked. One word, he said, experience. So then how do you gain experience, the young man asked this mentor. And he said two words, bad decisions. <laughs> good decisions, experience, bad decisions. There's a lot of verses in the Bible, folks, that I don't have time to get into tonight that speak about the value of suffering. The value of suffering, the value of being put under pressure. A trial would not be a trial and a test would not be a test if we weren't desperately uncomfortable in it. And Romans chapter five, verses three and four says this, not only so, here we go, but we also rejoice, which means what Paul is saying over here, we rejoice because we see the value in it. And I think that's the problem. Many people don't see the value of the trials that they're going through. But Paul is saying, greatly rejoice, which means I see the value in it. Though for now, a little while, you may have had to suffer grief of all, I'm sorry, grief in all kinds of trials. Look at that. Some trials will incorporate a lot of grief. Grief is not sadness. Grief goes way beyond sadness. Look at what he says. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Faith untested is faith distrusted. Some of the best things in your life will come from the darkest seasons in your life. And James says, if you're gonna make it through this, the third point is this, that you are gonna have to ask for God's help. It never ceases to amaze me how slow we are, even people of faith, how slow we are to run to God and ask him for help sometimes. It's amazing how we forget it. We just wanna deal with it on ourselves on a subconscious level and we don't give it to God. This is what James says in James 1 and verse five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it'll be given to him. So how should I be asking God for help during my trial? What prayer should we be praying? Well, definitely not God rescue us. How about this sort of prayer? This is how we ask God for help. Father, what are you trying to teach me through what I'm going through? What is it that you are trying to teach me through what I'm going through? In this way, James says we can actually speed up the time that it takes to go through this trial. So right now, those of you watching online and in the venues, let's pray this prayer together, shall we? Let's ask the Lord for help during this trial, this season of trial. Say this after me. Lord, teach me to trust you at all times. Grant me more patience and focus so I recognize your sanctifying power. Allow me to clearly see what you are doing in me so that I will never have to write this test again. I know there are hundreds of you out there that are facing tests of various kinds. 
And the fourth key during a time of testing is that you've got to keep a good attitude. James says in James 1 verses 6 and 7, he says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt or have a good attitude because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown, tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. So when we talk about going through a trial, attitude is important. Now, how's this example of the story I'm going to share with you? For a man who managed to retain his faith and a godly attitude, not just in a trial that he was going through, but even worse, where the devil nearly completely destroyed everything he had. Before I share the story with you, I want to tell you that the moral of the story is simply about the fact that we as born-again believers have the potential within us to retain our joy and our peace and to see the purpose behind every trial that we face. It's the story of Horatio Spafford. And when I was in Israel some years ago, my wife and I, Reiki, pointed out an apartment that this gentleman rented in Israel where he spent the last years of his life. But listen to what happened to Horatio Spafford. His only son died at the age of four in 1871. In 1872, the great Chicago fire wiped out a vast estate that he had owned made from, that was made from a successful legal career. In 1873, he sent his wife, two years later, he sent his wife and four daughters over to Europe on a summer trip on the ill-fated SS Vilduhava. Since he had a lot of work to do, he planned to follow them later. That ship sank and he lost his four daughters, with the wife being the only survivor. She sent him a famous telegram which simply read, Saved Alone. On his return home, his law firm was burned down and the insurance company refused to pay him. They said it is an act of God. He had no money to pay for his house and no work. He also lost, and which caused him to lose his house. Then while sitting and pondering about what's happened to him, as he sailed over the very spot where his four daughters drowned, Horatio penned these words, which I know you have all heard and sang before. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. James 1 and 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So let's gear up. Let's know what God is doing. Let's surrender to it and say, Father, teach me, change me, mold me. In almost the next breath, he mentions temptation. And he clarifies in James 1 and verse 13 that temptation does not come from God. Trials the Lord uses. Temptation does not come from God. And the best way to describe temptation is that it's like a lure almost. It's dressed up as something pretty floating around in front of your eyes, but it has a hook in it that the fish never ever sees or he never would bite it. Temptation's ultimate goal is to hook you 
and reel you in. And I'm going to land this message on this theme of temptation. Temptation is meant by the enemy to pull you away from God. The difference between trial and temptation is this, that trials are what God pulls you through. Temptation is what the enemy pulls you to. So James goes on. After trials, he speaks about temptations. And I know many people, as we've been counseling through this series, that have been tempted in ways that they previously were never tempted before. In lockdown, being at home, getting bored, not being able to go to work, minds wandered, everything changed in a split second. And that's why this message is so relevant from James today. The most important thing about temptation that we need to know, and there's four points. The first one is that we need to recognize the source of it. The devil cannot make us do anything, and hence, this is why he tempts us. So James chapter 1 and verse 13, this is what James tells us. He says, when tempted, not if, every single person in this room is tempted. I'm tempted. Everyone is tempted. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in all things, in all ways, as we are, yet was without sin. Being tempted is not a sin. And speaking about being tempted is essential. It's important to get into a small group and confide in people and say, listen, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what James is going to reveal to us. But when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted. The first thing is recognize the source of temptation is from the enemy. And he'll dress it up. He'll make it look really, really good. The second one is understand the process of temptation. Now, folks, let me say, I know I'm going quite quickly through this, which is why I've put copious notes on the website for you. You can get these notes on the website and make them the focus of your quiet time throughout the week. But the second thing we need to understand is the process of temptation. And there are four steps in the process of temptation. James says this, but each one is tempted when, not if, by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I want you to notice that this letter was written to Christians. Christian Jews. That's who this letter was written for. You see, James is teaching us through the scripture that if we just knew the process, if we knew what was in store for us, that we'd be far in a far stronger position, perhaps, to resist temptation. So in these two verses, James gives us five steps. The first step of temptation is this, is that you are going to be tempted. No one is immune to it. No one gets a free pass. Everyone is going to be tempted. In actual fact, it's one of the greatest compliments to you, the more tempted you are. It means the enemy's after you. Listen, if you're not tempted by something, now there are some things the devil could flash in front of me, offer me millions. There are some things that that just wouldn't tempt me at all. But then, everyone has that one thing. So you are going to be tempted. And the truth, folks, is that if you're not butting heads with the devil, chances are you're walking next to him. So, understanding the process of temptation, number one is that you're going to be tempted. Secondly, fantasy is the next stage of temptation. When we start to consider what our life would be like. You see, this is the next step. The devil tempts us. Then comes fantasy. It's the very next stage where we begin to wonder if my life would be better if I drank it. 
if I ate it, if I watched it, if I smoked it, if I slept with it. The devil, he sells you the Peter Stuyvesant advert and you begin to, you begin to, you begin to fantasize about what could be. Isn't it interesting how we can so easily rationalize our sin while judging someone else's? It's got everything to do with the eyes, man. Everything to do with the eyes. Jesus says in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 23, he says, or 22, the lamp of your body is the eye. The lamp of your body, the thing that causes your body to react, the conduct of your body is directly linked to your eyes. He says, if your eyes are good, your body is good. If your eye is bad, your body's going to be bad. Your smartphone can very quickly become a dumb phone. You know what I'm talking about. Your smartphone can very quickly become a dumb phone whenever you use it for anything that grieves God. Now, let me tell you at this fantasy stage, if we don't stop at this stage, man, we're gonna fall right into it. And this is what James is warning us about. Because the next step of temptation is how we move towards sin. Now we start taking steps to move to where we think the grass is greener. And let me tell you, it never is. There's just more poop on that side, as the old adage goes. But beyond that, if you go read Proverbs, it warns, Solomon warns his sons. He says, listen, stop going there by the street on her house. And it's amazing. You know what the devil will do to tempt you? He'll come to you and say, listen, why don't you push the envelope just to show me how strong you are and how resistant you are. And he gets you to Press the envelope one step at a time. And he'll even allow you to gain some victories. And then all of a sudden, just when you think you're strong, boom. So you move from fantasy towards sin. You're swimming towards that lure. And what is it that Paul says and reminds us? He doesn't say stick around and try and resist it. He says flee sexual immorality. Timothy says flee youthful lusts. The commonality there is run away from it. Don't run to it. Don't try and entertain it because it will grab you every single time. Every time it will grab you. Some of you are just one bite away from entering into that relationship. And my advice, James's advice, and Paul's advice to you is run away. And if you don't have strength to run away, then talk to somebody. And I'll talk about that in a moment because stage four is where we go into the act of sin. It's not my responsibility to preach what your sin is. You already know that what that is. I didn't, you didn't tune in online and you didn't come to church for me to tell you what your sin is except for me to say this, that the Bible says in Proverbs 24 and verse 16, because you may be that person out there that stepped into it. The Bible says, a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by the calamity. I want you to know that Jesus is here to rescue you, that his strength is available for you and his grace is available for you to just walk away. And if not walk away, to be made free, for whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. That's why you are listening to this message tonight. And there are ways that you can be free. And I'll be talking about that in a moment. You see, at this stage, 
where we act in sin. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3 and verse 21, a very important scripture that the Lord illuminated to me personally many years ago. John 3, 21 says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The Lord told me many, many years ago, he said to me, Andre, what you keep in the darkness, the devil has power over. It's only what you bring into the light that the devil no longer has power over. Now, I know you're asking me, Pastor Andre, what does it mean? If I've involved in this sin, if I've bitten that lure, if I was tempted and I find myself in this act of sin, what are one of the things I need to do? The thing you need to do is bring it into the light. What does that mean? Tell Jesus, I've tried that. It didn't work. No. You need to do what James tells us in James 5. He says, confess your sins one to another. I know this might scare you and it might, right now your blood has run cold. But James' advice to us is this, and John's counsel and Paul's counsel in Ephesians is this. If you want to be free, you're going to have to bring that thing into the light and you're going to have to confess it. And it's not about being forgiven or not being forgiven. God will forgive you. He will forgive you. However, if you want to be free and stop struggling with this thing, bring it into the light. The devil no longer has power over. Listen to me, young man who's married. Listen to me. You find that young girl at work attractive. If you don't begin to tell someone that you're being tempted, it's going to lead to something else. But sooner or later, your sin will find you out, Moses told us. Your sin will find you out. The best thing you can do for yourself is you can just go and tell someone. Just openly confess. You'll be amazed if you confide, confide in a Christian brother or a Christian sister, someone you can trust. It's amazing how quickly that temptation will go. The devil likes to work in darkness. I don't know who I'm speaking to tonight, but this is a word of the Lord to you. And if everything I've said tonight that I've rushed through is to see you delivered and set free tonight, whoever you are, and to give you godly counsel. You've tried everything. You've been to the front. You've had lands laid on you by the best people. Jesus didn't say, listen, if your eye causes you to sin, have hands laid on you. He says, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Sometimes you just got to get practical. Now, I'm not saying chop your head off, chop your arm off. I'm saying take some practical steps. If you are desperate to be free, God wants to see you free. Because if you don't turn around, James, James warns us that the final stage, the fifth stage, is death. And Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 14 verse 12 that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. We should get into the habit of magnifying sin. The devil wants to minimize sin. He wants to make everything seem so, ah, you know what, it's culture. The only culture we are called to obey is the culture of the Word of God and the kingdom of God. It was Moses who said that you may be sure your sins will find you out. And I want to close. I know I've gone over time. Just bear with me for a few moments longer because I want to leave you with tips on how to overcome temptation. James gives it to us in James 1 verses 16 and 17. Don't be deceived, my dear friends, James says. Notice the love and the care in there. Dear brothers, every good and perfect gift is from above. Now, this almost sounds like a completely different topic to temptation, but it really isn't. He says this coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God doesn't change. You see, folks, and this is the truth, 
that God has actually obligated himself thousands of years ago. He's obligated himself to help you out of whatever mess you find yourself in. He's obligated himself. Pastor Andre, what do you mean he's obligated himself? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Look at what God said. No temptation has ever seized you except what is common to man. Number one, you're not alone. Many people have gone through what you've gone through, have defeated the temptations that you have defeated. You're not alone. And he says this, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God obligated himself thousands of years ago to help you out of your situation and to help you out of that temptation. So how do I overcome temptation, Pastor Andre? Three simple points. Number one, avoid harmful influences. It's a lot easier to resist alcohol than to go to the bar, fill the glass up with booze, and there try and say to yourself, I resist you, I resist you, I resist you. Just remove all those influences. Bad company corrupts good morals. Change your friends, friend. Change your company. Secondly, counter temptation with God's word, just like Jesus did. When he was tempted, he said, it is written. Thirdly, find an accountability partner which is why we've got small groups here at church. Small groups are all about accountability. It's all about being able to speak to people, to tell them what you're going through. But I'll be embarrassed, Pastor Andre. I can't just open my life. Why? Dead people can't get embarrassed. If you've truly been crucified with Christ, your freedom in Christ will be far more important to you than the secrets you keep. And let me say this, if you're the only one that knows your secrets, you're in deep trouble. This is what James is saying. If you're the only one that knows your secrets, you are in deep trouble. And then the fourth point that I want to share with you tonight, and I'm going to close on this with regards to trials and temptations specifically. And I'm going to give you the point in a moment, but I first want to give you the scriptures. In James 1 and verse 18, it says, He chose to give birth to us, by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. The more I fell in love with my wife, the less I realized I needed anything else. People have said to me, have you been tempted recently? I say, why would I want to go for a VW when I'm married to a Porsche? <laughs> Hallelujah. Why settle for the VW when I'm married to the Porsche? You see, what Jesus is saying here is if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Our love for Jesus needs to be the law, needs to be the first act. Temptation is really not a test of your self-control. Really, it's a test of your love for Jesus. And so if you want to overcome temptation and resist it, these are the nuggets that have been shared by James for us. And I will encourage you tonight. But earlier on, I read a scripture in Proverbs. It says, a righteous man falls seven times and gets up, but the wicked are destroyed. The truth is that without Jesus, you've got no hope. Without Jesus, you won't pass the trials. Without Jesus, you won't overcome the temptation. And so tonight, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, 
even those of you that are watching online tonight, if you've never made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, regardless of where you find yourself, I want to pray with you tonight and give you the opportunity to do so. The moment Jesus enters into your heart, you're going to be born again. For those of you that feel weighed down by sin, you are going to be completely forgiven and freed. I sense there are some people out there that even need to rededicate their hearts to the Lord tonight because of what you've managed to get yourself into during this COVID time. Your conscience has been pricked in you, saying, Lord, I want to recommit my life to you. You can also pray this prayer with me tonight. But if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, if you want to also, just like that gentleman, say, it is well with my soul, then please pray this prayer with me while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful that you died on the cross for me, that you paid the price for my sin so that I could be forgiven. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and save me. I confess my sin and my need for you as a Savior. I believe you died for me and you rose to life again, demonstrating that I am forgiven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. I promise to love you and to serve you until the day I meet you face to face. Now, while every head is bowed, and every eye is closed. I want you to hear this promise from God's word in John chapter one and verse 12. To as many as have received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons or the daughters of God. Tonight, you have been born again. Tonight, the very same God that made provision to help you out of anything has rocked up on the scene. He's not only saved you, but he is going to lead you. Come on, let's give them a great Christian family church. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.